Last week, we saw how the gospel uh, centers on Jesus Christ. Amen? Um, if you were not here with us last week, you need to go back and watch it, okay? Or listen to it, right? Um, if that's your thing. Uh, but last week, we saw how the Old Testament prophets center around the Lord Jesus. Yes, that, that Christ is the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption that he promised through Abraham and through Moses and through Israel, right? And then through King David, that Christ was the one who came. Um, and it's him who comes to save humanity. Praise the Lord. And uh, this hope uh, is what we call the hope of the gospel. And it is good news, church. Come on. Our Savior has come. It's beautiful news. Um, so we're going to pick, pick up, rather, where we left off last week in verse 8. Um, with Paul explaining to the Romans why he's eager to see them. So without anything else, I want you to stand on your feet, um, grab your Bibles, okay? If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles for you. Get a Bible in your hand, okay? If you don't have a Bible at home, oh, take one. It's a gift to you, okay? We want you to have that. And we're going to read this passage from the Word of God. Now, the reason we stand here, church, is this. Uh, in Nehemiah and in Ezra, when they re re recovered the Word of God, do you know what they did? When they were reading, they stood in honor because our God speaks to us through his word. Amen? And the early church, for, for 1,000, 1,500 years or so, they stood for the reason, reading of the word of God. And so guess what we're going to do, church? We're going to stand for the reading of the word of God. Amen? And uh, so thank you, Lord, for your word. Would you speak to us now? Uh, verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8. Paul writes this to us through God, the inspiration of the Spirit. First... I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And then this right here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Come on to the Jew first and also the Greek. And here's why. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you open our eyes? Would you send your spirit to reveal to us the truth of the living word of God? Would it move us today? God, would our hearts bow before you in your glory? I pray, Jesus, 
that this gospel that centers around you would be made manifest to us today, God, that you'd bring clarity in this room. Lord God, I pray for people in this room to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I pray for the people in this room today that instead of shame, they would be a bowing the knee to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords, that today is the day of salvation. Come on. So Lord God, would you do this work? Would you speak to our hearts? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? All right, you may be seated. Um, we have a lot of ground to cover today, church. Okay, so listen, hang with me as we move through this. Um, I, I want to just do a quick reminder on, the, on your notes pages. There's an outline, right, telling you where we are during this series. Okay, we're still in point number one, which is the revelation of God's gospel. Now, Paul is making an argument, and so I'm trying to track that with you, okay? So look up here on this screen, if you would. Um, this is the argument we're going to see him make today, okay? And this is all in point number one the Savior, all right? The gospel centers on who? Y'all, you can scream that Sunday school answer out today. It centers on who? Jesus, come on now, all right? And Paul, as an apostle, is obligated to preach the gospel of Jesus, okay? He's called to me. We're going to see that. We're going to unpack that in just a moment. Um, so therefore, okay, because the gospel centers on Jesus and Paul is called to preach Jesus, he must preach Jesus in Rome. Come on. You see that? And so he's going to give us a snapshot of what the gospel actually is before it takes us next week. Everybody go, dun, dun, dun. Into righteousness needed, all right? The doctrine of sin for the next, like, five, six weeks, all right? Um, this is as uplifted as you're going to feel for the next six weeks. You ready? So savor every moment of today before Paul just rips it away from us, okay? Here we go. All right. Um, I've organized. How many of you guys like an organized deal? Oh, yeah, I know, yeah. I, I knew that you would raise your hand. Um, I've organized this text around three points. Here they are. I'm going to say it fast. You ready? Paul's calling. Yeah. Paul's prayer. And Paul's theme. You with me? Calling, prayer, and theme. That's as organized as you're going to get. Here we go. All right. Um, last week, we heard that the gospel is about Jesus. If you have a gospel about somebody else or some different version of Jesus, what do you have? A false gospel. You've got blasphemy. You've got no gospel at all. Um, while we focused a great deal on who Jesus is, and I love that. Paul says, before I explain to you what the gospel is, I need to tell you who the gospel is about. Jesus. Yes? Um, one of the key things in that text we need to address today is Paul's apostolic obligation. Okay, he's, he's, he's an apostle called to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Who's a Gentile? Everybody raise your hand unless you are Israeli blood, okay? All right, you with me? Um, the reality that God wants the gospel preached to the Gentiles, listen to me, means life and death for us. The weight of that is uh, unimaginable, okay? We sit here today because Paul was called to preach the gospel to you and me. <laughs> Don't miss that, okay? Thank God for that. Yes? Um, I want to back up a step before we get to verse 8. I want to go to verse 5. All right? It says this. Through whom? All right? That's Christ. Okay? We have received. Who's received? Paul. Okay? <laughs> We're going to get there in a moment. Paul and his, his workers have received grace and apostleship to do what? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of whose name? Jesus. Right? Among all the Nations, that's you and me. There we are. Remember, guys, the gospel is for the sake of Jesus' name, yes? And he says this, verse 6, including you. 
who are called to belong to Jesus, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul writes the words, we have received grace and apostleship through Jesus, um, this is not an optional statement, church. <laughs> Paul's talking about himself and those who work with him, yes? And what he's realized is that he is called to be an apostle. You with me so far? All right, what does that mean? He walked into it, he can walk out of it. He found the ministry so he can pick it up and put it down when he wants to. What does it mean? Jesus himself called Paul and said, I want you to be an apostle. That means a sent one. I want you to take my gospel to the nations, Paul. That's your life's mission. And guess what? That's what I created you for. That's what I prepared you for. And that's what I'm going to do through your life. Guess what Paul gets to do? He gets to lovingly obey. <laughs> you with me? When God calls, your answer is? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Uh, so often we hear about ministry being such a burden. Y'all, if Jesus calls you to it, it's a gift of grace. Did you see that in the text? We have received grace and apostleship. The call of God to ministry on your life is a gift of his grace to you and to those he's going to bless through you. Come on. This is not a heavy burden. This is a gift from God Almighty on the church, amen? And so Paul's responsibility then, this is not an optional call. His, his desire to go see Rome doesn't come from a place in, in himself. It says, Lord, I'm to be obedient to the calling you have placed on me to preach the gospel to the nations. Therefore, I must get to Rome. You with me? How many of you guys are living with that kind of tenacity in your calling? That I must follow what God has called me to do. Church, he doesn't get to decide if he wants it still. He gets to obey it, amen? Whew. For Paul, obedience is joyful. This is not begrudging obedience. This is, thank you, Jesus. Here I go, okay? Notice what's important here, though. He says, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. Where? Among the nations. Church, Paul is not just called to be an apostle. Specifically, Paul is called to be an apostle to the nations, to the Gentiles. That's to people like you and me. Hello, praise Jesus. Paul has been hand-selected by Jesus to bring about the salvation of the world through his apostolic teaching of the gospel. Let me tell you something, church. We are still under the apostolic teaching of Paul 2,000 years later. That's a calling, y'all. <laughs> and he says, states clearly in verse 6, this is including you who are in Rome. He must go preach to Rome. Church, to summarize, Paul is called to be an apostle to who? By Jesus, right? To the to who? The Gentiles. All right, you're with me. Okay, we're good. Uh, there are many Gentiles in Rome, right? He's got to go make sure they have the right gospel. Do you guys realize when a church would form so early on, they needed to make sure they had the right teaching? When Antioch believers, Gentiles, start to profess faith in Christ, the Spirit of God is moving there. All this stuff is happening, right? You know what they do? The church goes, mm, we got to make sure they're actually true. We're going to send to them Barnabas, and Barnabas is going to take this young guy named Saul. Paul, <laughs> okay, uh, to go and make sure they have the right teaching. Luckily today, we can make sure every church has the right teaching. Okay. <laughs> I'll just let that lay right there. 
So Paul's going to go make sure they have the right gospel. All right, here we go. All right, that brings us to verse 8. You caught up? You with me? Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. For who? All of you. Why? Because your faith is proclaimed in all the earth. Paul writes this letter um, with a customary prayer found in many Hellenistic writings of the time. Okay, Hellenistic means Greek letters. They would often pray for one another, but this is certainly Paul's custom um, that he prays for the churches that he is writing to. We see this in all of his letters. Um, but what is Paul praying for? Uh, what is he giving thanks to God for, rather, right out of the gate? Did you catch it? I thank my God for you. Why? Because your faith is what? It's being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Church, why Paul was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, he is grateful that God is going before him to call people to Jesus. Do you see that? Um, God didn't wait for Paul to be ready for him to send his message to where he wanted to call. Amen? Church, let me tell you something this says about God. God cares more about his gospel than we do. <laughs> Are you with me? God would send others through his means to go and preach the gospel so that when Paul is writing, he's saying, listen, I'm hearing of your faith in the whole world. Now, that's a hyperbolic statement, right? Did Paul literally hear everywhere in the world talking about the faith of the Romans? No. Okay. How, what is it supposed to mean to us? What's the point? Church, he's hearing it everywhere he goes. Rome, remember, Rome is the epicenter of, of humanity at the time, right? It's the most important city in the world. What's happening there, there's 4.1 million people living in Rome. That's like, what is Denver, five? Is it even that? Is it three? It's like the size of Denver, okay? That's massive. Everything is going to and fro to Rome. It's the epicenter of the world at the time, and Paul is hearing of the faith of these people called Christians in Rome from wherever he is in Corinth right now writing. Is that amazing to you? And he's giving thanks to God because God has gone before him with the gospel. Now, Paul is so excited to see them because he wants to be encouraged by that kind of faith. He's hearing the faith of these people going, man, I want a piece of that too. Yes, it's encouraging his own heart. And he says this in verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Everything I am is to do that. That without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. Here's his request. Pay attention. Asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. What's Paul's prayer request? God, let me go see these people. <laughs> let me go. Let me go tell them the gospel that centers around your son Jesus. Let me explain to them the truth that is found in you. He longs to see them and to preach to them. And so he says this to them, verse 11, for I long to see you. Why? That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And then he adds this, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul is wanting to give the people a spiritual gift. You see that? He wants to come in here and bless them with a spiritual gift. Now, some have argued that Paul's coming in to like lay hands on them and give them gifts of healings and like prophecy and different things like that. That he's going to equip them with gifts, okay? But I want you to see what the text says here. Verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, 
but thus far have been prevented. In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Verse 15. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. What gift was Paul wanting to give the Romans according to this text? Church, the gift that God had given Paul, remember a little theology of gifts here, is your gift for you? Who's your gift for? The body, yes? The gift that Paul wants to give the Romans is the gift of his preaching. Right, you see that right there? That's why I long to come to you, so that I can preach the gospel to you. Church, Paul had been given the spiritual gift of preaching, and specifically the gift of preaching the gospel. Yes? What he's about to lay out for us is 16 chapters from front to back of the gospel in clearest form. Okay? Powerful preaching coming from Paul that still stands today. It's a spiritual gift that will do what for the people there? It will strengthen them. Right? Guys, here's the difference between talent and between a spiritual gift. Talent can blow your mind. You guys have been to a concert before. You guys watch football. How many guys, right? You with me? That's awesome. Talent can blow your mind, but a gift can change your heart. See, what Paul is wanting to do is use this spiritual gift that God has given him to preach the gospel so that God would come in and transform their heart and strengthen their faith. But here's the amazing thing about gifts, church. Pay attention here. Is that while Paul is going to go in and he's going to wield his sword of a gift, yes? What's going to happen to him? Their faith is going to strengthen him as well. Do you see that? Here's what God did with gifts, church. He gave them to us so that as an entire body, we would grow. Come on. That everyone, as we use our gifts, Paul's coming in. He's Paul for crying out loud, right? He's coming in to preach so that they would be strengthened, so their hearts would be changed and transformed by the gospel. And yet his heart is going to be changed and transformed. His faith is going to be increased because of the gifts God has given to that house. Amen? So let's ask a question then, church. This begs a question this morning. Are you using your gift in this church? You with me? Are you using your gift, your spiritual gift that wasn't given to you for you? Are you using that for the others who need it? Guess what? The Romans needed the preaching of Paul. Guess what? We need the preaching of Paul. Amen? God has given us gifts. When you are a believer, he bestows upon you spiritual gifts that he is giving through you to the body of Christ. And if you are not using that, the body is atrophying. Let me tell you that right now. Church, you need to know what your gift is and you need to use your gift. Your call is not optional. You with me? Good. We are blowing through that portion because we are going to grind down to the next two. You with me? <laughs> After finishing his greeting and prayer, Expressing his desire to come to Romans to preach the gospel to them, Paul sets up what the gospel is, okay? I love this because Paul is going to tell us what he's about to tell us. They tell you in preaching class, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them, all right? You with me? 
Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them, and then tell them what you told them. Guess what he does in chapter 16 at the end? Oh, it's almost like they took something from the Bible, huh? <laughs> he's going to tell you right now what he's going to tell you for the next 42 weeks, all right? Okay. Um, I told you, so th these verses that we're going to read, I want to say this before, are really the thesis statement behind the whole of the book of Romans, okay? In fact, it's not even the thesis, it's also an outline. It's going to kind of, he's going to, you know, take the book from this couple sentences and he's going to just go from there, okay? So here's the reality. If you get a handle on these two verses, you can have the entire argument of the book of Romans within your grasp. <laughs> you with me? Um, I told you last weekend we're going to work on memorizing scripture. Here's your first assignment, okay? Two verses. Here we go. I'm going to read them. For I am not ashamed of what? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Amen? Church, I, I, I want us to focus on memorizing this, so we're going to do this one more time, okay? I want you to say this with me now as we do this together, okay? You with me? Here we go. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written. The righteous shall live by faith. Amen? It's good. It's good. Uh, I want to tackle these verses phrase by phrase this morning as we move through them. Are you with me? Oh, I need more than that, y'all. Okay, come on now. Here we go. I am not of the gospel. Um, this phrase, there's a couple of debates as to why that phrase is there. Um, one could be that this was Paul's admission that the gospel is going to be problematic both to the Jewish audience and to the Gentile audience. Okay, and here's why. For the Jews... It's that whole scandal of the cross thing. <laughs> okay, you with me? Oh, and by the way, the law has been fulfilled. <laughs> All right, now, to us, on 2,000 years after this, we're going like, yeah, no law, grace, come on, right? If you're an Orthodox Jew, you guys, oh, that would blow your mind right out of the gate. All right? That reality that, that A, Jesus, whom you crucified, that's a problem, okay? Uh, fulfilled the law. You're not under the law. You're under righteousness in the gospel through the Holy Spirit of God. That's going to blow their mind. Church, that would be offensive to a Jew. To a Gentile, he's going to spend a lot of time unpacking the resurrection. Now, most Greeks, most Romans, most Gentiles did not believe in a resurrection. To them, that was foolishness. You ceased when you ended, okay? So to say, listen, you're going to rise from the dead was foolishness to them. So right out of the gate, to say that, He's losing some audiences, all right? If they don't track with what he's going to preach on, all right? That's one possibility. The other is that Paul is using a convention of Jewish rhetoric. 
right? Um, what they would do is they would state the opposite of what they meant for the effect of it. You with me? How many guys um, have been to Walmart before? <laughs> I knew this would land. Whenever I leave Walmart, like let's say at one o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, because you forgot what day it was, and you get in your car and you say these words, I love Walmart. What do you mean by that statement? <laughs> it's a tool of rhetoric, isn't it, right? What am I saying? I hate Walmart. Come on now. No haters. I'm, okay, we thank you, Walmart. We're glad you're here, all right? Woo, but man, you're hard to get through. Listen, Paul is making a statement for effect here to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. What is it? It's the exact opposite for Paul. He is proud of the gospel church. He has devoted his entire life to the gospel. Is Paul ashamed of the gospel? Does anybody have to question that? No. His entire life is given to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he wants them to do right out of the gate is to say to be ashamed of the gospel would be absolute ridiculousness for those who've been redeemed by it. Come on. He's wanting to stir your heart right away to, to think that way. Man, how insane it would be to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, church, but I think it goes on a little more than that. Because he's not ashamed of the gospel means this also. That Paul is not ashamed, lean in, of what the gospel says and what the gospel means. Are you with me? Church, next week, <laughs> Paul is going to pull both barrels at the world and at believers for their rejection of God and their unending pursuit of sin. And when I say he's going to pull both barrels, I mean he's pulling both at once. <laughs> Church, This is going to get, I, I can't overstate this. This message of Paul is going to get extremely offensive. Period. <laughs> no qualifiers, okay? It's going to get real. I told you earlier, this is about as comfortable as you're going to feel for the next number of weeks, all right? relish in it. It's going to get extremely uncomfortable because Paul is going to deal with sin right out of the gate, sin in the nitty-gritty, sin in, absolute, in the absolute horror and nastiness of what it is. He's going to deal with the wrath of God, that we are under the condemnation of God Almighty, that we deserve his wrath, that there's nothing we can do to clean ourselves. Guys, it's going to get offensive. But here's the deal. Scripture also calls the gospel offense. It defines it <laughs> as being offensive. Look at this, uh, these verses, how it's described in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross, what is that? The gospel, right, is folly to those who are 
just a little bit lost. A little skew, right? Just somewhat broken. Yes? To those who are what? Perishing, it says. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Listen to what he just said. You know what it means to say someone is uh, folly? You know what he just said to you? To those who do not believe in the gospel, guess what? You are a fool and you are dying. Do you know what it means that you are dying? You know what that means? That you are going to spend an eternity in hell. Knock, knock, knock. Hey, super positive message for you. You're a fool and you are going to hell. How do you feel? Warm and fuzzy, yes? Your self-help thing working for you? Come on. It's offensive, yes? Look what it goes on to say, 1 Peter 2, 7 through 8. So the honor, okay, is for you who believe. There's honor in the word of God to be gleaned for those who believe, amen? But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of what? Offense. Its very nature is offensive to those without faith. Do you see that? It's a stumbling block. They're going to trip over it. When you proclaim the excellencies of the truth of the good news found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is going to be offense for those who do not believe. Galatians 5.11. For if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, a work done, in error thinking it leads to salvation, yes? Why am I still being persecuted? What's he saying? I don't preach that. In that case, if he did preach that you had to do something, for, that you could do something for your salvation, by the way, then it says this, the offense of, what is that word? The offense of the cross, what is that? The gospel has been removed. If I were to tell you a gospel that is this, listen, um, you're just, you know, you're okay, you just need to be better. And how you do that is by doing these things. But you can do this, Yes? Beautiful. You can help yourself. Yes? If I preach that to you, that means that's not an offensive message, is it? Tweak yourself a little bit. You got this. If I preach that to you, then the cross of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel, has been stripped of its offense. You know why? Because it has been stripped of the truth. Church, these are all descriptions of the gospel being offensive in its message and in its propositions, church, in fact, in its very existence. Yes? Let me ask you this question. Why? Why is the gospel offensive? Shout them out. Yeah, what else? Why is it offensive? It's truth. <laughs> Man, right? What else? I think the gospel's offensive, church, because it tells you to get off the throne of your life and submit your wants and your desires to one who is supreme and higher than you. Hello. Church, when you think you hung the moon, the message that you, not, you cannot save yourself is offensive. Hello. Church, the message of the gospel is this. You are not enough. Come on. Church, you can't do it. 
You are sinful and wicked, unworthy, and in need of a Savior outside of yourself. That's the message of the gospel. Come on. Church, the gospel is offensive. You cannot do it. What you get, what you did, equals death. Wow. You're a fool who is perishing, and you can't save yourself. There is nothing you can do about your state. That's offensive, everybody. Come on now. And because the gospel is offensive, stay with me here. Because it's offensive, our temptation is to be ashamed of it. You with me? Ashamed (coughs) means this. To be or become characterized by feelings of shame, guilt, embarrassment, or remorse. I love definitions that like include the word in the definition. (laughs) Woo! Shame means feeling shame. Yeah! You with me? Or this one from Oxford. They did a better job. Ashamed means to be, listen to this closely, embarrassed, okay, or guilty because of one's actions, okay, something that you did, characteristics, something that defines you, or listen, associations. Ooh, now we're getting closer, aren't we, church? Church, because the gospel is offensive, Those of us who have the gospel the temptation is to be ashamed to be associated with it. Ooh. Why? Because we don't want to go out there and say to somebody you're a fool who's on the highway to hell, do we? You are blind. You are lost. You are a sinner in need of a savior. That message isn't the one that we want to go tell them, is it? Why? Because I'm concerned with me. Yes? Church, I think when we're tempted to be ashamed of the gospel, it's because we don't understand the power of the gospel. Church, we don't want to tell people the things that Paul is going to tell them in this letter. In fact, I'm going to read you a quote next week by Charles Spurgeon who didn't even want to read it from his pulpit. Okay? Because we don't yet understand the power of God in his working through the gospel. That's the problem, church. And so we shrink back in fear and embarrassment for what they will think of us due to our association with the gospel. Do you see that? If they think I believe this, if they think this is what I wear, that's my message, that I'm a bigot hater, come on now. I gotta distance myself from that. I don't wanna put that out there and say, listen, that's what I actually believe, that I just hold to the word of God. Come on, church. And we got Christians shrinking back from the unadulterated word of God because they're worried about their image, not his. What is that called right here, church? Ashamed. Ashamed of the gospel. But this is what Paul says right here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Power of God. Church, the gospel is characterized as the power of God. Come on, church. How? 
you might already know this, but the Greek word there is what? Dunamis. Dunamis. Church, that's where we get the English word dynamite. Ooh. <laughs> this is explosive power. Church, here's the thing about God's explosive power at work in the gospel. Okay? The gospel is dynamite. Why? Because it is going to blow your sin and your death back to hell. Come on. Church, the gospel is explosive against the things of the enemy. Come on now. And yet here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. Look at this. <laughs> it's a cohesive agent that brings back together the relationship of God and man. Wow. It pushes out, it blows into infinity the things that are keeping you from Jesus and it brings you back in. It one, in one hand, it explodes and the other, it unifies and comes back in. Church, here's the reality. Through Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. Praise the Lord, come on. And he does that through the power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That power that blows your sin to pieces. Praise the Lord. And brings the glory of heaven to you. Come on now. Church, the gospel blows up sin and death so it can bring peace and life. Church, further, the gospel is a power that is accomplishing a purpose. You with me? Church, what is the purpose that this verse is saying the gospel is trying to accomplish? Look right here. For salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for what? For salvation. Church, this is a beautiful word. We're going to study this word out in depth, but today I'm going to give you a, a light treatment of it. The salvation that Paul is talking about is salvation in your past, salvation in your present, and salvation in your future. Are you with me? Um, when you respond to the gospel call of God, when he calls you and you bend the knee, listen, let me tell you something that's happening there. At that moment, you are saved, yes? Praise the Lord. Paul's going to deal with the doctrine of justification that in that moment, God declared you righteous. Hello. At that moment, you have been saved. Salvation rendered to your past. Come on now. But it's also salvation in your present because, see, Paul's going to deal with this, that God is continuing to work his salvation in you to make you more like Jesus. Amen. This is called sanctification, that you are growing and being set apart in holiness to the Lord. Yes? That's salvation in your present. God is not done with you at your past. He is working in your present right now. Come on. And here's the reality, church, that he's going to get to in chapter 8, that God is not just saving you in your past. It's not just about your present. He is about your future. Come on. Church, fighting with sin is not your end. <laughs> I mean, come on. Fighting with sin is not your final story. What is it? glorification, that God is going to transform your body, your spirit to be sinless in his perfect presence. Hallelujah. Come on now. It's a future hope. Salvation in the past, salvation in the present, and salvation in your future. Church, do you know what this means? You know what all of that means? The gospel doesn't leave you where it found you. Come on. <laughs> Church, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation. Come on now. 
It doesn't leave you where it found you. That salvation is past, present, and future. It is working to do in you what God wants to do. Church, this is real transformation. Come on now. Guys, the gospel doesn't leave you laying dead in your sin. Hallelujah. The gospel actually transforms you. That's incredible. Church, when we think the gospel can't, can't deal with my sin, can't handle my addiction, whoa, can't deal with my broken marriage, with my family, can't do this in my life, can't. When we say the gospel can't, let me tell you something, church, we're living like we're ashamed. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's to transform you, church. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel can actually change your life. When a church apologizes for its stance on homosexuality, what we're saying is the gospel can't change you. Are you with me? The gospel can't redeem that sin struggle in your life. The gospel doesn't have power. Church, that is nothing short of being ashamed of the gospel. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to blow your sin back to hell and to bring you into righteousness. Come on. Church, you are not left where you once were. (laughs) Come on. You don't have to be a slave to your sin, to your addiction, to your brokenness, to your problem anymore. You're not a slave to death, hallelujah. Come on. Because in Christ, he came to set you free. Amen? And that freedom will be realized. It will be accomplished because in Jesus, in the gospel of Christ, is where that freedom is found. How many of you guys would testify to that today? That you are not what you once were. Come on now. Hands in the air, Christians. Let's go. I am not what I once was. I have been transformed by the gospel. I'm not a slave to that anymore, to what that which held me. To tell somebody that the gospel cannot change you is to cut it off at the very truth of what its source is, church. The gospel deals with sin. Hmm. And the gospel is the power of God for salvation to who? Everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God for who, church? The believer. Amen? The believer. Notice it says that word right there, belief. What does it not say? It says the gospel is power for the believer, not the doer. Ooh. Church, Paul is going to spend <laughs> like an unimaginable amount of time explaining this reality right here. That one is saved not by what they do, but by who they believe in. I really want to dive into this point right now. (laughs) But I'm not going to. (laughs) Because we're going to spend weeks with that, and it's going to be gorgeous. But here's what I want you to realize right away. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not by works. Church, the power of the gospel is at work in those who believe. Everyone who believes. Come on. If you believe, 
if God has called you and he's put that faith in you, he is going to transform you. Praise God. All right. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul's practice when coming to a new community would always be to start in the synagogue, okay? Paul was raised Jewish. He was taught by Gamaliel. He had a huge pedigree uh, for Jews. And so he'd go to the synagogue. He'd tell them who he is and kind of slip one in on them, wouldn't he? I love it. Hey, I was taught by, oh, Gamaliel, ooh, oh, can you teach Sabbath? You know, Shabbat, would you come do it, right? And he says, yes, give me the passage that we're in. He sits down, he reads the scroll of the Old Testament, and then he would go through systematically and preach how that passage points to Jesus. It's what we do today, everybody, come on. Because why? Because the gospel, the prophets of old, teach Jesus. And so Paul would teach Jesus. And inevitably, there'd be those Jewish, uh, Jew, Jewish men and women who would believe in faith and they would respond to the gospel and they would come and they'd follow and they would be Christians now under Jesus. Hallelujah. And then there'd be a great deal more who were enraged. <laughs> and they'd send him packing and then he'd go and start preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Um, but beyond Paul's itinerary when he's going to come hit Rome, beyond that, I think there's something deeper going on here. Um, Paul is stating the order of salvation mediated by God. You with me? As revealed through the word. Remember last week we talked about the covenants, yes? And how God had been progressively revealing that Jesus Christ was Messiah, the one to fulfill the promises of God to do what? To bless the nations, yes, through one nation, Israel, right? He started with the Jews and has moved it into the Gentiles, that through them has come the salvation of the world. Amen? To the Jews first and also to the Gentiles. Church salvation first came through the Jews and then to the nations. Paul's going to spend a great deal of time unpacking that as well for us, um, showing us exactly how Christ has fulfilled the law how he's done what the law could not do, how the spirit of God has actually worked something in our heart that the law was powerless to do, and that is to save. It's gonna be amazing. Uh, Jew first, then Gentile. And he says this, for in it, the, what's that word there, church? Righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. I told you at the outset of our study that the book of Romans is about the righteousness of God. In God's righteousness to both judge sin and to save sinners, that God is righteous to do both. Yes? This is where we get that right here. That the gospel declares, it reveals the righteousness of God. So let me ask you a question. What is righteousness? Christ-likeness is good. What else? What's righteousness? Right standing, right? What is it? I'm just glad you asked. <laughs> the Hebrew word for righteousness is sidukah. Sidukah. Say it with me. Sidukah, you're Hebrew scholars now, look at you. Wherever you see the word righteousness used in the Old Testament, that's the word, sidukah, okay? Um, sidukah means according to a standard, all right? Um, in Abraham's time, 
they didn't use coins for purchasing items. What they did was they had a little stone weight that weighed two shekels. Here's a picture. See that? That weighs two shekels. Um, you can see it here next to the next picture there, next to an actual two-shekel coin. That would come much later. Uh, but this little stone weight weighed two shekels. So if they were going to purchase something, what they would do is, is they would put this little stone weight in one side of a scale, all right? And if you have an empty side of a scale and something in the other side of the scale, what's going to happen to it? It's going to tip the scales, right? And then what they would do is they'd stand on the other side and they'd shave off either gold or silver, whatever they're going to pay in, until that scale started to tip back. You see with me? And when it was balanced, they would say it is sedukah. It's according to the standard. Do you see that? It's even. It's righteous. That's the term. That's what it means. Church, the Greek word is diakosune. You with me? Dia, you got to say it with me. Come on. Diakosune. Diakosune. Church, it's the same idea as the Hebrew word. According to the standard. Okay? So righteousness means what? According to the standard. What standard? Church, you realize that we are to be measured against a scale. (laughs) You see? That diakasunai means according to a standard that we will be measured up. Many of us think, I'm measured up against that person over there. (laughs) Yeah? Um, Based on my standard of living, I'm doing pretty dang good. You guys will disagree. You're like, yeah? Yeah? When When I put myself in one side of a scale and somebody else, I can hold my own. Anybody? Here's the problem, church. Righteousness is the lofty standard of God's own perfection. (laughs) You aren't measured against that of another. You are measured against one who came in the flesh, Jesus Christ, and his perfect holiness, church. You are measured against the very holiness of God. Now let me ask you, how are you doing on that scale? Do you measure up according to the standard? Can you level the scale? Huh? Church, here's the problem with sin. Because of it, none of us can measure up. To the holy perfection that is God Almighty. (laughs) None of us can measure up. You don't add a fleck into the other side of that scale. Come on. Your works, your good deeds, your best intentions, your efforts, your your perfections (laughs) do nothing to deal with your sin. Church, the problem with the law was it could not get you to measure up. Come on. You have nothing to put in the scale to measure up to God's perfection. So church, let me ask you a question. How does the gospel revealing the righteousness of God help us? 
church, we're going to see that it means everything in the world. For in it, that's the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live, what? By faith. This phrase, from faith for faith, has driven scholars mad. <laughs> okay? Um, the context of what Paul is quoting from in the Old Testament is significant, I think, to interpreting what he just said from faith for faith. So we're going to look at the righteous shall live by faith first. You with me? Paul is quoting Habakkuk 2.4. And it says this. Behold the proud. Look at him. Who's the proud, everybody? The proud is the one who can. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah? Look at me. I'm awesome. Yeah? His soul is not upright within him, it says. But the just shall what? I'm going to give you one guess onto what the Hebrew word is for just there. Remember? Siddukah. <laughs> okay? When you hear the word proud, what does that evoke in you? What do you think of? Wicked, yes? His soul is not upright means that his soul is not going in a straight direction. It's warped. It's bent. The proud is Wicked. I want you to think about all the texts that we have throughout the Bible that declare that God detests the proud. Yes? But gives grace to who? The humble. You know what the humble says? I can not. <laughs> Good. The proud? I can. The humble? I cannot. Church, pride is antithetical to just, to the just. Pride is antithetical to righteousness. Where there is pride, there is no righteousness. Do you see that? There's an opposite thing going on here. And if you were to study out the word righteous in the Old Testament, and we are going to, by the way, in great detail, what we will see is that what Paul goes on to say about Abraham, about righteousness, you'll come to the profound conclusion that just, siddukah, means this one thing only right here. This is it. You with me? That he has been declared righteous by God Almighty. <laughs> Paul's going to unpack all the way back to Abraham what that word means in Hebrew, what it means, what it meant, and what it continues to mean. Church, righteousness is not the one who does the right things, but the one who God has said is righteous because of his son. Church, this is imputed righteousness. The righteous shall live by faith is not the one who does right things. It's the one who believes in the right promise. Come on. So when you get to the phrase from faith for faith, this means this, church. Pay attention. This person came to faith in the gospel. And because of that, faith was justified and therefore now lives a life of faith because of their belief in God. You with me? Church, this is talking about from justification to sanctification, that you have been declared righteous from faith to faith, so you shall live in righteousness. Amen? 
And Paul's going to spend the rest of the time unpacking what that means. Church, once someone becomes a person of faith, they are declared righteous. Then they become a person who is growing in faith. That person is living from faith to faith, just like the verse says. And here's the reality, church. Faith begets faith. The faith of Paul is going to stir up the faith of the believers in Rome. The faith of the believers is going to stir up the faith of Paul. Our salvation starts with faith alone in Jesus. Amen? Church, and that faith is the power of the gospel. Church, that is why Paul is not ashamed of what the gospel says about us because in it is the power of God to raise the dead. You with me? Guys, in, it, in the gospel is the power to set the captive free. You believe that? Church, in the gospel of Jesus, in his gospel alone, is the power to level the scales of righteousness so that you can be called the righteousness of God. That's the beauty of the gospel, and that's what Paul is going to declare to us for the next 42 weeks, all right? That death has no hold on you because the righteousness of God has blown it up in the face of Jesus Christ. Come on. Hallelujah. Church, stand with me as we close and say this with me, these verses right here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your righteousness. Thank you that you met the standard. Thank you that while we could not earn our salvation, you purchased it for us on that cross. We praise you. God, we thank you for the gospel that we stand here today not ashamed of because it's the power of your saving work in us who believe in Jesus' name. Amen.